Welcome to Running Off the Rails. My name is Raymond O'Connor. And I'm Ariel Rasco. And today, we want to talk about cliffhangers. Our campaigns of Dungeons & Dragons are not one 50-hour non-stop marathon of play. The demands of real life, whether that's eating, sleeping, going to work, taking care of kids, they pull us away from our games of Dungeons & Dragons. For the best games, this can be a time of intense anticipation, where players are feverishly talking to each other about the game in the days leading up to the next session. But for some games, even a single scheduling conflict can be a death sentence. I've had two campaigns of Dungeons & Dragons die, because we just weren't motivated enough to carve out time to play again. But my game of Tomb of Annihilation, run by Ben, well, I've literally taken time off from work so that the group could make time to find out what happens next. In TV shows and books, cliffhangers are the thing that keeps us coming back for more. Cliffhangers frustrate us in all the best ways. They leave us worried about our favorite characters and spark our imaginations, spinning off wild fan theories. They leave us desperate to know what happens next. In Dungeons & Dragons, cliffhangers are what bring your players back to your table for your next session of Dungeons & Dragons. This is especially true for new groups and new campaigns, where players aren't nearly as invested in their characters or the story yet. So today, we're going to do a deep dive into cliffhangers, and we're going to talk a little bit about the history of cliffhangers in books, movies, and television, and then we're going to talk about how you can bring cliffhangers to your games of Dungeons & Dragons to leave your players wanting more. Cliffhangers have a very literal origin. In the early 20th century, Fort Lee, New Jersey was a hub of film production, and the cliffs there facing New York were featured with multiple characters hanging off at the end of an episode. These very literal cliffhangers left the main characters' lives in jeopardy, and audiences needed to watch the next episode to find out if they would survive. I love the etymology of the term cliffhanger because it drives the point of what a cliffhanger is very, very clearly. It is a moment in time where things could slide one way or the other, and you need to find out what happens next. It also shows you very clearly what a cliffhanger is not. If you were to ask somebody what these stories are about, they wouldn't tell you that it's the story of a person who was once hanging off of a cliff, but then they didn't fall to their doom, they got back up off the cliff. Cliffhangers generally are moments that exist outside of the plot of whether it's a book or a television series or a movie. They are moments that ask what happens immediately next that we as the audience feel compelled to return to the story to find out the answer to. If you listened to our last episode about pacing, cliffhangers are almost the exact opposite of pacing. If pacing is how the flow of the story feels to the person experiencing it, a cliffhanger is how the dead space feels to the person who is experiencing your story. How does the time that the person spends away from the story feel. I think it's really interesting to contrast this dead space from the pacing of a story, because as the medium of television evolved, cliffhangers evolved with it dramatically as well. As time went on, we got more and more channels of television with more and more great stories competing against each other for our attention. Suddenly, you had shows like 24, which famously ended every episode on a cliffhanger, so much so that it became a meme and kind of diluted the tension of its own show. 
And I think this evolution of needing cliffhangers became even more prevalent when streaming television became a thing, because suddenly you have the opportunity to binge an entire season, and if somebody can hook you to sit and watch the next episode, you might never get up from your TV. I think that binging a streamable series of television uh, is a much closer comparison to cliffhangers that we might see at the end of chapters in books, because the content is available there for you. And the person who was creating the content knew that the content would be available to you. But with both a streamable series and a book, the amount of time that it takes to consume that chunk of media is typically more than any person has available to sit down and finish a thing. Typically, it takes longer than 12 hours to read a fantasy novel, and typically it takes more than one sitting to binge through an entire television series. So these people who are making these mediums know that they need these cliffhangers to pull you along to the next episode, not just to keep you reading for that one sitting, but also to have you feel compelled to put it back on when you return from work or that uh, gathering with friends that you were going to or that, that life commitment that pulled you away from the media that you were consuming. We talked about in our pacing episode how you can think of Dungeons & Dragons sessions as chapters in their own right, with like a chapter title. So I think looking at chapter ending cliffhangers or TV episode cliffhangers is a really good way to find tips and tricks for how we can introduce cliffhangers effectively into our sessions of D&D. Exactly. What can we do at the ends of our sessions of Dungeons & Dragons to keep our players really excited about playing our game of Dungeons and Dragons, whether or not we get to sit down and play it next week, or if we won't be seeing our friends to play again for a few months. We want to recreate that feeling that you had at work where you're talking around a water cooler about last night's episode of Game of Thrones. That feeling of getting together to talk about what might happen next is one of my favorite parts of D&D, and I think it's something that we can really nurture as DMs if we take the time to plan ahead. I actually think that using cliffhangers is one of the things that I do worst in Dungeons and Dragons. Sometimes when uh, Ariel and I sit down to do an episode, we talk about something that I feel like I'm an expert in, and I'm kind of uh, just doing my best to communicate and share my expertise. Cliffhangers is not something that is like that. Sometimes when Ariel and I sit down to do an episode, it's an opportunity for me to do the necessary research and work that I need to do up front to expand or make better uh, a tool in my toolkit as a dungeon master. And cliffhangers is definitely one of those things that I've learned a lot about as a result of trying to prepare for this episode and that I'm really excited to bring to my game of Dungeons and Dragons because right now I think it's one of the weakest dimensions of my game. I actually realized that I had this gap in my game by listening to another podcast that I love to listen to called Start Writing. It's a podcast that's run by professional authors Joe Bendosky and Jay Washburn, and I found it to be an awesome source of inspiration for concepts that are well-defined in the domain of creative writing, but are not so well-documented for Dungeons & Dragons. Another example of an episode of ours that was inspired by some of their content was our Memory Slots episode. 
I listened to this podcast and I thought it did a really good job of giving different examples of cliffhangers and talking through how to execute one well. And like Ray said, it's specifically meant for writing, but a lot of the things translate directly to D&D. They really stressed something that I think is kind of fundamental to a cliffhanger, that is you should resolve the cliffhanger pretty soon after you introduce it. I think this is pretty obvious if you are thinking about cliffhangers literally. The person does not have much time to hang out on that cliff. There's only so many things that can happen while a person is hanging for their lives. And I like this idea because it shows that you shouldn't skip to a completely different place while somebody is in immediate peril for too long. It might fizzle out that tension that you worked so hard to build up. Exactly. Something that Joe and Jay actually talk about is their frustration with reading the Game of Thrones novels. Because George R.R. R. Martin puts these cliffhangers in these characters' storylines, but then cuts away to do entire chapters for other characters, you as a reader can experience a very real sense of frustration because you feel like you need to know what happens next for that other chapter. And I actually know myself, I've skipped through some of the chapters while reading Game of Thrones because I felt like I needed to know what happened next in that one plot that I was following. The most egregious example of this is with the book A Feast for Crows. This is probably the least liked book of the whole series, and I think one of the reasons why is because you only get to see half the characters. There are cliffhangers from book three that you don't get to resolve until book five, and that's many years going by where you forget about the characters that you loved from earlier in the series. And I think this specific lesson is not so likely to happen in Dungeons & Dragons, where years go by before a cliffhanger is resolved. But I think it really ties into this idea we talked about when you're splitting the party, where you can cut away from one part of the action. And I really liked how Joe and Jay talked about the importance of not doing that for too long. You can lose the attention of your audience if your cutaway isn't important and doesn't get resolved quickly. And I think it also highlights kind of the artificial nature of cliffhangers as well. I think it's important to highlight that cliffhangers are something that exist not to tell a more perfect story, which I think is a reoccurring theme in a lot of the tips and techniques that we cover. Cliffhangers are something that exist for the audience. They are something that exist for the people consuming the story, not, not the art itself. And I think that keeping that purpose clearly in your mind helps you to create satisfying cliffhangers that bring your players back to your table as opposed to creating story elements that are going to frustrate your players. Yeah, I think that's a great point and maybe a little bit of a cynical point in some ways that cliffhangers can be about selling tickets or getting pre-order sales for books more than having a distinct narrative purpose. But I think understanding that is really helpful for Dungeons and & Dragons and getting your players excited to play. Because, like we said before, scheduling can really be the hardest part of D&D. And so thinking about a cliffhanger as a way to bring everybody back together, I think is a fun and honest way to think about cliffhangers sometimes. And it's not necessarily the perfect narrative element every single time. 
but it can be done narratively in a way that is really fun and also makes sure that you actually get to finish your campaign. I know that personally, I have a tendency to binge my games of Dungeons and Dragons. I basically run until my players feel like they don't want to play anymore. And this is why I think maybe I struggle so much with cliffhangers. I'll basically run for my players until I run out of content. And then because I've run out of content, I don't have like the whole next thing that we're going to do planned. I don't have a suitable cliffhanger that I know that I'll be able to resolve. I would have to improvise something that then might write me into a corner because I haven't thought through the implications of this cliffhanger that I thought of on the spot just because I felt like I needed a cliffhanger in my game. I think that if I had a little bit more self-restraint and I was willing to cut the session at a suitable climactic moment or a moment that had good tension or or right after a reveal that I had had planned and not allow the players to resolve the tension of that moment, that perhaps my players would be more eager to schedule games of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that's something I've really noticed myself too, is that you know, D&D doesn't have a specific end time. We get together for an evening and we're going to leave somewhere between 9.30 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. based on how we're feeling. And so I'll just keep playing while we're still having fun. But I think if I were more judicious and really knew that I wanted to create an amazing moment to end the day, we could finish our session on a high note that leaves us coming back for more. One of the points that Joe and Jay brought up that I really liked is that a good cliffhanger can be destabilizing. It can take the status quo, something that has been maybe taken for granted, and now put it in jeopardy. I think that's a great way to do a cliffhanger. But Ray and I were also talking about how some cliffhangers, especially for D&D, can just be moments that created a ton of hype, where your characters are, are shouting and laughing and excited. And leaving your session on a high note, I think, is way better than leaving your session when you have run out of steam. So in order to really create that excitement and plan ahead for these hype moments as a DM, we wanted to go through a few different specific types of cliffhangers that we found in our research. The first type is the most obvious, the imminent doom. This is the cliff. There is some sort of thing that will fall one way or the other. The person will either let go and fall to their doom, or they'll be pulled up off the cliff and something will save them. This is the gunshot. You know that a gun was fired uh, in that last moment, or somebody cast an important spell, but you don't know the resolution of that thing that will resolve immediately as soon as the story is picked back up again. This type of cliffhanger is used most often at the ends of chapters or at the ends of episodes or even perhaps right before the TV show cuts to commercial break because it will be very frustrating to an audience member if they do not know when they will be able to resolve this type of a cliffhanger. I think imminent doom works most often with physical danger. And this is something where rolling for initiative ties in very well. When we start a combat, we know that there's going to be the chance that a character dies or gets seriously wounded. And this is a perfect way to translate imminent doom to D&D in an easy way. But I have an idea for maybe taking it to the next level, Ray, and I'm curious what you think, because I'm almost imagining 
the first round of combat or maybe a surprise round of combat where you do the enemy's signature attack and maybe it's a breath weapon for a dragon and you can roll a bunch of damage and maybe and maybe some players lose more than half their hit points and then you end the session there you create the imminent doom by showing how much damage your creature can do and then you do the rest of combat in the next session so a little bit of bookkeeping because you have to remember how much damage was done but i think that emotional impact is worth it i love that idea I, I know that in the, the most recent dragon fights that I've participated in as a player, I've been like sitting on the floor of my room because I've been so anxious about the battle. And I know that if, if we were to cut right after that big first thing happens, that that would only build the the anxiety because we would know just how screwed <laughs> we really were. And then I think what you would get from this, right? Because because we don't measure cliffhangers rhetorically, right? Like we can't we can't look at the page in a book and say this was a successful cliffhanger. The way that we measure the success of a cliffhanger is by the reaction of the people experiencing the story. That is how you tell whether or not a cliffhanger is a successful cliffhanger or an unsuccessful cliffhanger, a good cliffhanger or a meh cliffhanger. If your players are then blowing up your player chat about all the different things, well, I I can cast this huge healing spell to get us some more bonus points, but I really want to go do this other thing instead. If your players are are planning and strategizing in the time in between sessions, you know that they're going to plan the next session of Dungeons & Dragons. They're coming to that table because they, they've they literally prepared for it. Yeah, I love that idea. Like, if you know what you're going to do on your next round of combat, you're going to be more likely to actually play out that combat. That, that makes perfect sense to me. And I really like this idea that you are kind of introducing the threat earlier on. It has a little bit to do with our pacing episode where the players now know what the threat is and what's at stake. I, I sort of like the idea also of starting a combat with the villain doing something outside of the combat a little bit. Like if the villain is successful at stealing a magic item, that can be the start of a combat and it can leave you with a sense of threat that you're introducing now. The villain has something really, really powerful and we're going to be in some trouble. Or maybe the villain kills an NPC at the start of combat, and that's when you roll for initiative and end the episode. Just introducing what the imminent doom is in a very show-not-tell way, I think, is really helpful for setting up this cliffhanger. This type of cliffhanger where your character has taken damage, I think you even alluded to it, where there's some bookkeeping that needs to be done. This type of a cliffhanger works really well for a group that meets on a weekly basis. It probably doesn't work so well for a group that meets maybe once a month or once every three months, because by then you've forgotten some of the details of the mechanics of your character, how much health you had left, uh, how many spell slots you had left. So if you're, if you're coming back three months later to a combat that is in progress, this type of a cliffhanger probably actually isn't a good cliffhanger for you or your group. Which brings us to our next type of cliffhanger, which might work better for a group that is meeting in farther stretches of time. 
not too dissimilar from a cliffhanger that an author or a director might put at the end of a book or an end of a movie or an end of a season of a television series where the characters and the players are engaged. There is a thing that needs to be done next, but it is not the imminent doom of that first type of cliffhanger that we were discussing. I think a classic example of this is in Game of Thrones when the White Walkers are approaching and marching through the wall for the first time. This we know is providing a clear and present threat to the safety of the realm because we've already seen the damage that the White Walkers can do. I think anytime you're in a situation where you have a stronghold set up or you're in a city or a town, having an invasion can be a great way to set up this long-term sense of foreboding that people will remember weeks or months later. And this type of cliffhanger is actually sneakily easy to implement as a dungeon master. Because the threat is off-screen from your immediate characters, but exists in the current world, you don't need to have this event line up perfectly with the moment that your session of Dungeons and Dragons is ending at. You could cut away to the scene where the villain is talking to their lieutenants and they're talking about the plan that has been set in motion uh, that no one can stop to set up this sense of foreboding, to set up that there is a threat that is off screen. Sure, you're long resting right now. You're totally safe. There's no tension. But what about tomorrow? What about the day after? The danger is coming. Eventually, it will find you. I think this is a really good point. Because when we come together and manage to actually schedule a session of Dungeons & Dragons, we want to play for hours. So cutting away after you've played for a few hours to a scene far off in the distance where an invasion is coming, I think is a great way to mitigate that. Whereas some other examples like a surprise twist, which is our next example of a cliffhanger, maybe requires a little bit more uh, DM intervention to make sure it happens just at the end of your evening. The surprise twist is the, the switcheroo or the surprise betrayal. So that NPC that you thought was your ally the moment of truth occurs where your interests are suddenly no longer aligned and they take action against you. This is a classic type of cliffhanger that brings the audience back because they need to answer the question, why? Why did that person betray you? I think it's really amazing when you can get this betrayal to happen based purely on the motivation of the moment. This is the type of thing that happens in your game of Dungeons & Dragons, regardless of how long you've been playing. So if this happens when you're three hours into a session, perfect. Use it as the cliffhanger. But that's often not the reality of the situation. The moment has to happen. You can't save it for the cliffhanger because that would be inauthentic and artificial. So unfortunately, in that circumstance, you can't then use this surprise twist as the cliffhanger. But there are definitely some surprise twists that I think you can pace out as the DM. I really like the idea that you're going through a dungeon crawl to find the lair of an evil dragon. And when you get to the final room and you see the dragon sitting atop their horde, it's actually a metallic dragon instead of a chromatic dragon. And this evil classic creature that you were expecting is actually a different creature that 
probably has completely different motivations from what you had thought. I think that this is something you can definitely pace out as a DM because you can kind of add rooms to a dungeon or add more combatants in a dungeon depending on how the session is going, such that when you've played for a few hours and your friends are getting a little bit more tired, that's when you can have the lair be right around the next corner. The next type of reveal is the discovery. This is similar to the surprise twist in that the audience or your players is learning something new that changes the reality of their world, but it is different because it is information that they have been seeking explicitly. In the story One Piece, which is a manga that's over 1,100 chapters long, a new chapter comes out every week. So cliffhangers are a huge thing in One Piece. Just recently, one of the cliffhangers was that we were going to meet the character Vegapunk. Vegapunk has been foreshadowed as the most amazing and significant scientist in the One Piece world since the dawn of the anime or the manga uh, when I started reading it, I guess, like 15 years ago. So as a reader, you know that I was reading that next chapter as soon as it dropped because I've been waiting to see and learn about Vegapunk for the last 15 years. I think you can also use this idea of a discovery in a way that the Start Writing podcast mentioned where you learn something about a character that changes how you had thought about them previously. This isn't a betrayal because the character is not turning on the party, but it's really learning something that completely reshapes how you have been thinking about the campaign. The example that they give is in Lost, where you know that one of the characters was on the plane because they were arrested and moving to a different prison. And you are searching for this information, and you're trying to figure out who it was, and you probably believe that it's one of the gruff, more angry characters, but then you find out that it's actually a more innocent, kind-looking person that you would have never assumed was arrested for a pretty intense crime. And so now you're reshaping how you think about this character. You're thinking about all these other angry, gruff characters and how they were actually innocent the whole time. And it's a big cliffhanger because you have to reorient your story in your own head. And that takes time to do. And it makes you excited to figure out what the motivations were for these characters when you get back for the next session. I think it's interesting that a lot of these cliffhangers probably have overlap and the and it's often the case that you can have a surprise twist that is also a discovery. An obvious, perhaps the most iconic example that comes to mind is Luke discovering that Darth Vader is his father. Of course, it is a surprise twist that Darth Vader is Luke's father, but it is also a discovery moment because for the longest time, we were wondering really who Luke's father was. Where is, is he, does he, is he still alive? Does he exist somewhere in the Star Wars universe? And perhaps maybe that's what makes that cliffhanger so profound, so effective at getting people to come back and finish that Star Wars trilogy is because you are doing many of these cliffhangers that you are kind of like, opening up throughout the story all at once. Well, I'm glad you brought up Star Wars because that's great lead into the next example that we have, which is the failure. And I think my favorite example of a great cliffhanger that ends with the protagonists failing horribly 
is in Empire Strikes Back when they are running away from Lando and the Cloud City and they've lost Han and they don't really know what they're going to be able to do next. There's so much planning and strategizing that you could do as players after you've failed spectacularly and have to really regroup and pick up the pieces. I think that the failure is perhaps the most dangerous cliffhanger for Dungeons and Dragons specifically. I think that when you are the person who has failed as opposed to the person who has watched the main characters fail, it can be pretty demoralizing and it can be easy to not really feel all that motivated to to come back and play and and try again especially if there is some weirdness in the group where maybe you feel like the failure wasn't your fault and maybe like the dm made a ruling that you disagree with i definitely see this on the internet most people talk about not wanting to play with their group anymore on the heels of a failure. So if you're going to use the failure cliffhanger, definitely, definitely, definitely be very proactive about scheduling that next session of Dungeons and Dragons and getting your players back to the table so that you can get the story moving in a, a positive direction again. That's a great point. I think as the DM, it could be very, very successful, especially if I'm a player in your campaign, to have a failure happening during a session if it's a few hours in saying let's end the session here and we'll pick back up and see how you do next time like i know personally i love losing board games before i win at them it makes me want to play the game again and if i win at a board game my first time playing it it felt too easy and i'm not that interested in trying out a different strategy because i already feel like i figured out the game and so if the dm introduces a problem that I wasn't able to solve, I know personally that's going to keep me really motivated. So ending the session maybe an hour early or a half hour early, even though we might have had time to try to fix the problem if we had stayed there, I think would be extremely motivating for me. But I think you are totally right, Ray. I can now in my head come up with other examples that I've seen of people hating when that happens and being extremely demotivated because they felt like somebody did something wrong, they're assigning blame, they're thinking about how their character's arc is ruined, and they didn't get the chance for the resolution that if you had kept playing for another half hour, hour, it would have allowed them to feel better and, and want to come back instead of feeling like they lost. I think that the example of the Empire Strikes Back cliffhanger is also is really, really strong because that failure of having to leave behind Han Solo and Leia who have been captured, that cliffhanger of what, like we failed and we lost our friends, what are we gonna do, is resolved at the very beginning of the next movie. We don't save Han and Leia at the end of episode six. That event, that failure event is resolved in the opening of the next movie, which I think really kind of drives home this idea that cliffhangers are very different from pacing, right? When we were talking about the conversation of pacing, we were asking the question, what is this story about? And the, the things that you open at the beginning of your story and then close at the very end, that's what your story is about. That's pacing. Cliffhangers are the things that you stick at the very end of your plot and then close at the very beginning of your next plot. They're very, very short. 
I think that's a really great point, and it reminds me of something we've talked about in many different episodes, how as a DM, you're setting up promises, you're promising your players that they're going to experience something, and then you really want to deliver on that promise. You want to deliver on the possibility to save Han and Leia. You want to deliver on the promise that the next episode is going to be fun, and you're going to enjoy whatever has just happened. So I think in this case, for our example of other promises that could be cliffhangers, I think one of them that I really like is on a quest for a magic item, leaving the final resolution of learning what the magic item does to the next session. Uh, The final cliffhanger for me would be, say, here's the magic item, and they want to cast Identify, and I tell them, well, we'll find out next time. And this is maybe a cheap cliffhanger in some ways, but I think they're really going to want to know what this amazing magic item that they just spent all this time getting actually does, and they'll have to come back to find out. Hey, that's a discovery uh, that's a discovery cliffhanger, right? The one that we just talked about where it's, it's the revelation of knowledge that the players are pursuing. And it's, and it certainly is effective. We were just talking though about how the failure cliffhanger is a little bit dangerous, but then you said as a player, you would love the failure cliffhanger. This next type of cliffhanger, I think is particularly interesting because it is a player cliffhanger. This next cliffhanger is called the vow or the decision where a main character makes a vow or makes a decision that something is going to be the case way in the future. They are going to, I'll never lose a friend again. I'll never lose another sword fight. I promise this. And I think that that pairs really well with the failure. So as a player, if you can feel that the session is going to end on a failure, Maybe look at that as an opportunity to to make a vow or make a decision to succeed in the future and make that failure cliffhanger that much stronger. Sure, we failed this time, but we will not fail the next time. Giving the players a chance to exclaim that they'll be back and they're going to get revenge, I think, is a really cool way to end a session and, and a great cliffhanger. Another type of cliffhanger that I really like the idea of is a dilemma, something that is a very specific choice that whichever way the players go is going to have meaningful consequences, but it's a difficult choice. In the new Lord of the Rings show, Rings of Power, there's a great cliffhanger where one of the minor characters actually has to make a very important decision of whether or not they'll ally with the protagonists or the antagonists. And... The result of that has huge implications for the plot, and I thought that was a great cliffhanger. I think we can manufacture those moments at the table if we have an NPC that is going to choose to ally with the party or with the enemies, but giving your players a chance and giving them a decision to make, I think, is a great way to keep them talking in between sessions and getting them to come back and want to play next week. I think this is a really good example of A moment that happens very often in Dungeons & Dragons, but we don't take advantage of to use as a cliffhanger all that often because the resolution is so instant. We're the Dungeon Master, we are role-playing an NPC, a judge, or perhaps a dragon where we tell the players to surrender. Give up. Surrender your weapons or we will fight you. Or you have to decide whether or not this man lives and goes free or is put to death for treason or desertion or theft or murder. 
And because we're putting the ball in the player's court, we're kind of relinquishing control of the flow of the game. So it, so we miss the opportunity to end the session. So you, you need to be very cognizant if you're going to use this cliffhanger with your tone and the way that you're describing the scenario that, and you'll decide what you want to do next time at the opening of the next session. But I think that this cliffhanger, a player dilemma, a player choice cliffhanger is perhaps the most compelling of all of the cliffhangers that we've talked about so far. Yeah, I think it really ties in with player agency, which is a concept that we've talked about over and over again. Dungeons and Dragons is a special type of storytelling where you really have agency into where the story is going to go and how your character responds to the tension. So I love this idea that our cliffhanger is not something that we as the DM manufacture in this case. It's actually something that the players are initiating. This cliffhanger is because the players don't know what to do next. We ran through a long list and actually picked out some of the examples that we thought made sense for books and movies and TV shows, but didn't necessarily have as strong a correlation to Dungeons and Dragons. So we'll include links to these articles and of course, Jay and Joe's podcast episodes in the show description below. And remember, a cliffhanger is not something that you can point to that you have written on the page and say, this is a good cliffhanger. Cliffhangers are measured by the reactions of your players. A good cliffhanger brings your players back to the table. It makes them excited to plan and to talk about and to theorize about the next session of Dungeons and Dragons and the things that are happening in your world. A great cliffhanger might be met with panic or shouts or people saying, holy crap, I didn't see that coming. I think those are the indicators of a good cliffhanger more than what narrative elements you put in. Just because you could logically explain this cliffhanger to somebody else, it doesn't mean it was a good cliffhanger. I think there are kind of three different ideas that I'm looking for when I create a cliffhanger. I either want my players to be in awe, or I want them to be curious about what's going to happen next, or I want them to be strategizing. I want them to be thinking, I have a plan for how I'm going to resolve this tension. I hope that this episode has better prepared you the way that I feel better prepared to now present cliffhangers to my players. And until next time, I'm Raymond O'Connor. And I'm Ariel Rasco. And thanks for listening to Running Off the Rails. If you enjoyed Running Off the Rails, please like, follow, and review our show on your platform of choice. Please follow our Instagram, Running Off the Rails, for notifications whenever we release a blog post, a new episode, or new content on the DMs Guild. If you prefer a specific type of content, please send us a message on Instagram. The jam you are listening to is Hoist by Andy G. Cohen, and you can find Hoist and more of Cohen's music on the Free Music Archive. You can find links to all of our content at runningofftherails.com or on our Facebook page, Running Off the Rails.